0: Well, I'm excited to welcome you as we gather as the Christ Journey family for another awesome day, an awesome Sunday. We pray God's blessing upon you, whether you're joining us from one of our campuses here in South Florida, or across the nation, or around the world. May you know the blessing of God on your life. Now, I don't know what it is, but I've always enjoyed stories about beating the system. Beating the system, especially when the system is bad or when overcoming it requires careful planning and ingenious execution. This is a theme of movies like um, Star Wars, truly, or um, Mission Impossible or Dirty Dozen, some of you may remember that one, or Ocean's Eleven, you see Ocean's Eleven? Okay, in Ocean's Eleven, Danny Ocean, played by George Clooney, no sooner than he gets released from the penitentiary on parole, he's already about the next heist. But what we discover, it's not just about the heist, against his rival, Terry Benedict, uh, who Benedict is a a ruthless gambling entrepreneur who um, is filthy rich from three casinos in Vegas. Okay, but the rest of the story, he also stole Danny's ex-wife Tess, and um, and played by who? Julia Roberts. Yeah, I know you know this movie. Um, so Danny has three rules: don't hurt anybody, only steal from those who really deserve it. And third, do it as if you have nothing to lose. Now, if all goes according to plan, then not only will his team get in to the triple threat, high security, three casinos, and get out with $150 million, they will also bring tests, not only physically, but emotionally show her what she has forgotten or doesn't know as well. Now, so it's a story about a gentle but genius outlaw who outsmarts and outplays the real bad guy and then um, saves the love of his life. Okay, hold that thought and come with me now to the Gospel of Mark. Mark. The Gospel of Mark is a gospel of action. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is always doing, he's getting things done just like this. Immediately, the word is used a lot. Um, It's traditionally held to be the memoirs and the messages of Simon Peter as. Captured and collected by John Mark, whose name it bears. So Mark was not one of the original 12, but he hung out with them and was probably the young man who in Mark chapter 14, verse 51, says on the night that Jesus was arrested, he ran away from the garden, I mean streaking, naked ran out from the garden. It said that while they were trying to grab him, he slipped out of his garment and took off naked in the night. Now, don't you know that story got told again and again? Like, hey, remember the time? Yeah. But not only was he companion to Peter, he also later worked with Barnabas and Paul in mission efforts. So I'm thinking, what a life education. I mean, hanging out with the 12, getting to be with Jesus, and then getting some missionary time with Barnabas and Paul And Peter, it's not hard to see why his letter is in the New Testament and why it's worth our time today, because what we're going to be looking at, the first four chapters of the Gospel of Mark really answer this question from the perspective of Simon Peter through his apprentice, Mark. How do you change the world? You ever want to change the world? You want the world to change? How do you change the world? What Peter is telling us is what he got from Jesus and what John Mark got from him as how do you change the world? And it answers some very basic questions about following Christ and what the church is here. So if this is your first time with us or your first time to join us online, then this is a great time to get acquainted because we're just gonna go over some basics real quickly uh, about basic questions like, who is Jesus? Where is he from? Who's he impacting, what's he doing, what's his mission, what difference does it make, what, uh, what is our part, what does it have to do with us, with this church, in this place, at this time in today's world? So, but I wanna do what Mark does, what he does in his gospel, he just jumps in and starts heading off so also that we're gonna do, so it may feel like we're skipping a stone over the top of the water, because we're covering a lot of material pretty quickly. I wanna encourage you to take the notes in your Christ Journey app, And if you want to open the Bible later, check it out, okay? First question, who is Jesus? Answer, first two chapters of the Gospel of Mark. And Mark introduces him with at least 12 indicators. Here he is, son of God, verse one, future or fulfiller of ancient prophecy, Obedient, blessed, pleasing son of the father. Tested, tried, overcomer of temptation. Kingdom of God introducer. Life fulfillment coach. Demon exerciser. That all happens in chapter one. Body healer. Forgiver of sins. Now we're in chapter two. Doctor to sinners. Bridegroom of joy. Wherever he goes, it's like there's a wedding party happening. And then iconoclast change agent. You want to talk about disruptor. Disruption. Jesus is there. And then outlaw, that's how chapter two ends. The Pharisees say what he's doing is unlawful on the Sabbath day. Who is he? Mark tells us he's God's outlaw. Come to your rescue. Read it for yourself. Tell me what you think. Okay, where's he from? Verse one, he's from God, right up front. Mark says he's not from this world, he's from God, uh, and introduces him as Jesus Christ, son of God. He comes from God, but what's his home base? Well, the other gospels tell us that he was born in Bethlehem and that he spent some early years of his life in Egypt. Uh, But Mark wants us to know he was from Nazareth and Capernaum, in particular, set up his headquarters in Capernaum. Nazareth was a cultural crossroad for caravan trade routes all over the uh, known world. So people from all over the Roman Empire would come through Nazareth, and it was despised by many Jews because of its independent attitude and also because there was a Roman garrison, an army garrison was located in Nazareth. By the way, a a three-and-a-half-mile walk, Outside of town, and you would be in the four thousand seat theater of Sephorus, which was a major Greco Roman a center of Greco Roman culture in his day. So that's Nazareth. Okay, then Capernaum. Capernaum is a thriving town, the largest of thirty towns on the Sea of Galilee, and that means it also it had decadence, it had affluence, and it had influence on the lives of people from all over the Roman Empire. It also was a headquarters for many Roman troops. So, where's Jesus from? Well, Mark says, Peter, through Mark in his memoirs, he's from God, but grew up in Nazareth and operated out of Capernaum. What does he want us to know from that? Here's my take. Peter wants us to know that Jesus is in the world, but he's not of the world. He is in the world. Nazareth, Capernaum, <laughs> yeah, he's in the world, but he's not of the world. Okay, well then who's his audience? Well the world. Yeah, I know but but what are the what who in the world? Okay, that's why chapter three was written to tell us who was there. The needy first. Verse one, a man with a shriveled hand. Jesus came to help people who can't help themselves. Second, the religious accusers, the religious people were there, accusing Jesus of being the outlaw. This is Pharisees. And then verse four, or is it verse six? Verse six, Herodians. That means the political activists who were active in King Herod's behalf. And as soon as they arrive on the scene, guess what they do? Team up with the religious accusers and put out a death threat on Jesus. We're not even three chapters into the gospel of Mark. Jesus has already got a death threat on him. Plot thickens. Fourth group, his disciples, not just the 12. This is all the followers who were early following Jesus from which he would call the apostles, the 12 apostles, which their names are found in verses 16 through 19, chapter 3. Fifth, a large crowd, perhaps like the crowds that have gathered today, full of curious onlookers. You know, they're just checking it out. They're they're wanting to know what's going on over there. And then verse uh, or the sixth group, demons, evil spirits. And what's interesting about the evil spirits, they recognize Jesus and they talk through people. You're the son of God. What are you doing here? It's like the opposition recognizes. They know, they know, you know what are you doing here? Jesus quiets them because he doesn't want people believing what demons say, right? And then the seventh group, his biological family the ones that had been with him in Nazareth. Verse 21, they show up to reel him in. It says they, that Mark says they came to take charge of him because they are saying he's out of his mind. His own family thought, hey, he's losing it. Then the religious leaders of Jerusalem almost agree, but they take it a step further, claiming that he is possessed by Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, King of Demons. They're all infested in him, and... Um, And what Peter has just shown us through Mark's words is um, some of the ripples that were just washing over people as the solid rock Jesus, Jesus the rock, was dropped into the sea of humanity. And now this wash of waves was fanning out all over all kinds of people. His presence was being felt by all kinds. Okay, what's his goal then? Why is he here? What's he doing? Well, all we've seen um, sets up what Jesus says next. You know, they just said, you're just full of demons. And here's what Jesus says, verse 26. If Satan opposes himself and is divided, then he can't stand. His end has come, verse 27. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first Ties up the strong man and then he can rob his house. What's that? Well, my take is, I think that's Jesus, outlaw Jesus is saying, here's the passion that is driving me. Here's why I'm here. He has come into the strong man's house, this world under Satan's control and under Satan's deception, but he has come as the stronger man to tie him up and rob him. Here's the story I'm picking up. God has entered the world through the incarnation of Christ to set captives free and get his beloved back like Liam Neeson and Taken, who went in to get his daughter out, like the Allied forces liberating concentration camps in World War II, who went deep behind enemy lines to get the captives out, like the SWAT team, who when hostages are being held inside, take on the uh, onslaught to get the captives free, or like Danny Ocean into the casinos of Oceans 11, trying to help Tess see something that she doesn't see. <laughs> I mean, she is under the spell of Benedict, his deception. His deception is so effective, she thinks he really cares for her. And in Mark's gospel, what we just saw, these people groups aren't seeing so clearly either. I mean, the religious, the God types are so fogged up that they think Jesus is full of demons. They're not seeing so clearly. His own family thinks he's about to lose his mind. They're not seeing so clearly. And here's what Jesus says, verse 28, I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men can be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. Whoa, he is guilty of an eternal sin. There's such a thing as eternal sin? Jesus says so. It's like he's saying, I've got good news and bad news for you. The good news is, all sin can be forgiven. The bad news, except one. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So what is that? Well, my understanding, it's deliberate, ongoing rejection of the Spirit's work in Jesus as God's Christ. It's like, okay, if you resist the rescuer, then there's no rescue left for you. So how can you be sure if you're wondering, I never want to commit that sin, how can I avoid that one? Well, receive Jesus as your forgiver. Trust Jesus as your savior. God come to the rescue for you. So who are the real outlaws in the story? Well, the ones resisting what God is doing in Christ. What is God doing in Christ? Which is ironic because it's the religious that are resisting and don't see what God is really up to in Christ. What is God doing in Christ? He's tying up the strong man. He's come into the strong man's house and he's tying him up because he's gonna set some people free. How does he do it? Well, chapter three tells us that resisting those temptations, the temptation of Jesus, here's how he does it. He overcomes the tempter in the field of battle. Secondly, he engages his mission in redeeming lives and freeing the oppressed, and third, he empowers his church so that others will join him in the work. That's chapter three, verse 14, he appoints 12. And he designates them apostles. Why? Three reasons. I want you to be with me. First, that's where it starts. Come be with me. Second, then I want to send you out so that others will hear my message through you. And then third, I'm going to give you authority over demons. So chapter three ends with Jesus saying this. Who is my mother, my sister, my brother? In other words, who's my true family? Says the one doing the will of God. Who is that? It's the church. The people who follow Jesus as God's Christ after the 12 appointed apostles to do the will of God through Christ, Jesus says, that's my real family. The church is God's family in Christ. And he sets the apostles aside to lead his outlaw band in the world but not of it, to be with him, that's the first step of a disciple, be with Jesus, tight with Jesus, then take his message so other people can experience it, and then experience the Spirit's power so that others be set free through you. Here's the mission for God's church. He wants us to move into the dirty, hurting, conflicted places of our world as ambassadors of Christ's kingdom, to literally move into the strong man's house, tie him up, and carry off his, quote, stuff, so-called. So if you're part of Christ's church, then this is part of Christ's journey for you. He wants you in on it. In fact, it may be part of the reason why you're not in heaven yet, because God wants to use you to bring heaven to your part of his world. And you say, well, my part is pretty hard. I mean, (laughs) you feel like you're living in the strong man's house, or you work at the strong man's house, You know, or wherever you go, the strong man shows up. Yeah, that's the whole point. Jesus is saying, I'm going to, through my church, what I want to do is empower you and then unleash you so that now the freedom can flow and the healing can come and heaven can be tasted by others. That's what our ministries are about at Christ's Journey. This is what we step up and volunteer for. This is why we serve, because we want to see God's kingdom advance through people at every age and stage of life. That's what our missions are about. That's what our multi-site vision is about. We want to multiply God's kingdom by entering into the strong man's house, not just when we come to church, but as we go as the church into the world. And then what? What's going to happen when we do that? Say you're a disciple, you decide, yep, 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 I'll do that, do that, do that. What's going to happen when you do? That's chapter four, parable of the sower in the soils. Jesus said there was this farmer and he was out sowing seed and some of it falls on a traveled path. I mean, the, tra- the path is traveled so hard that when the seed falls on it, a bird comes immediately and eats it. He said some of it fell on, uh, on shallow soil that had rock underneath the soil that prevented deep roots so that when the sun came out, it, the plants dried up for lack of nourishment and they were scorched. And then some fell in thorn infested ground and those thorns (laughs) choked it out, you know? They were growing in the same soil and choked it out until finally some seed fell in good ground and guess what happened there? It yielded a crop multiplying 30 times, 60 times, 100 times more than what was first planted. And then he says this, now if you have ears, hear. Which I take to mean, if you really want to understand this and your life impact, then Jesus will see that you do. If you want to, those who want to hear will. Great. So, what does all that farm talk have to do with me? I mean, this is urban 21st century life, and we don't exactly do a lot of farming in our backyards in Miami Dade. Well, Jesus tells us the story is really not about farming, it's about us. It's about people whose souls are like soil. And when God tries to change the world in them, the encounter the seed has to them. Um, and basically saying, you know, three out of four times, it's going to be harder than you thought. 75% of the time, sowers should expect some kind of Hardship. Because here's the thing, some people's lives are just so busy, they're too busy, they're so trafficked, they're traveled, that the word can't gain entrance. I mean, they don't even slow down. And then sometimes the reception is too shallow. There's an early penetration, but something else is going on just beneath the surface. There's a preoccupation that is keeping the seed from putting deep roots down. And as a result, their lives become vulnerable to circumstance and to hardship when the heat is on. And then some of us, sometimes our lives are like um, infested with competing interests, alive and competing like thorns. And Jesus says, here's three of them, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things, covetousness. So what? So two things. If you are a would-be sower and what Christ is doing in your life, you would like to share with somebody else, somebody that you love, somebody that you work with, somebody that you live with, a neighbor that you, that you know or a companion, and you try to do it, so what? Well, so it's going to be harder than you thought, and it's not going to happen just like that. That's what Jesus says. When you, as a disciple, try to expand the kingdom, you're going to meet resistance, so don't be surprised. Secondly, this one's for all of us. This is for everybody. What I'm hearing Jesus say here, what he's just done is identify why people get stuck and stalled in their spiritual lives. You ever feel stuck? You ever feel stalled? Like something's not working here in your growth? I think what Dr. Jesus just gave us is an x-ray or an MRI cutaway of showing us an insight into the human condition and how it responds to God's work in the gospel. What if your body is the house where the strong man does his work? And what if Jesus just identified strongholds? I mean, where the strong man has created a stronghold of busyness or of shallowness or of clutteredness. So those competing priorities are all in conflict, and yet there's a fourth option. Here it is. Good ground so that your soul, my soul, can be like good ground that when the way is cleared, oh my goodness, the seed is going to produce and keep on producing and keep on producing. No limit to its potential yield. It multiplies. Why does that matter? You ever wanted to live a more productive life? Did you ever want to experience more of who God is in your life? Have you ever wanted to have more of the blessing that God intends for you in your life? Then that's why this matters. Cultivate good ground in your soul. Now, what makes good ground good? In a word, willingness willingness. That's why Jesus said, not my will, your will be done. That's why the prayer for God's will be done. Willingness is the secret. So instead of being resistant, I'm going to be receptive. Instead of being competitive, I'm going to be cooperative with the seed of God's truth when it seeks to make entry into my soul. Don't just start your day defaulting into busyness. Receive the word. And instead of being competitive with other interests, invite Jesus to make himself known in fulfilling his will through you. Because the life is in the seed. And here's the bottom line I understand you make room for it, and it will make harvest for you. This is how gardening works, isn't it? You make room for the seed and the seed will make harvest for you. And here's what we discover as we grow in Christ, we have growing disciples listening in, that if you wanna change the world out there, really, then you gotta work with God to change the world in here, where the gospel meets resistance in us, in us, where the strong man has made things hard or shallow, or thorny, and he likes them that way. And sometimes we do too. But we don't exactly say it that way. We say, you know, I got things to do. You know, I, I got things to do, people to see, places to go. I gotta go, 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 that's, a, that's the busy signal right there. That's the too busy signal. You got things to do and God just seems to get in the way. Or maybe you're angry with God because of something that happened or didn't happen And you know he deserves your stiff arm. So he deserves for you to treat him hard. Or maybe you're not angry, but for whatever reason, you've just decided that you like your religion in little doses. You know, I'm mean, i going to have a Sunday order, please. But don't mess with my Monday. And especially stay away from my Friday night and my Saturday night. Right? I, I like my religion, I like my faith, I like my, and hey, don't let it change the way you think, because I mean, you already got your opinions, right? Well, see, when we, we use words like this, we don't realize it, but what's actually happening is you, those kinds of thinking can result in hard, shallow, cluttered lives, that then keep you from being productive in changing your world. You say, why isn't my world changing? Why is my life changing? Well, there's other stuff going on that maybe you're not seeing, just like Tess wasn't aware of what Benedict was doing either. So how do, you, how do you overcome the strong man who is occupying the house? Hey, you invite the stronger man in. And that's what Jesus is saying. Strong man's house, there's a stronger man in the house today. Now. My belief is that every time a human being made in the image of God, whose body was designed to be a temple for the Holy Spirit, every time a human being invites Christ in, the stronger man has just entered the house. Okay, well, the stronger man's in. How do you unleash the strength of the stronger man? Willingness. Willingness. Tell God you're Willing. You're willing to let go of trying to control your life and being as acting as if you're God. Tell God you're willing to work with him when strongholds are identified, when you hit rock or you encounter thorns, Tell him that you're willing to have the full harvest of life that he desires for you to have in your life, and you would love to learn how to cultivate your soul as if it were soil that could produce the crop that he desires to have. Why? You make room for it, and it will make harvest for you. This is the way it works, which is why Jesus said, consider carefully what you hear, verse 24. This is is how it works, literally. This is why the world doesn't change. Because the world out there isn't going to change until the world in here changes. And Jesus said, so here's why you need to carefully listen to what I'm I'm telling you right now. Verse 24, with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. You have a deciding part in this and even more (laughs) and whoever has will be given more in other words when you make room for the seed to do its work it's going to make harvest for you and keep on producing god's harvest will come to you you can experience more god more blessing how become willing how do you do that well it has something to do with welcoming his word you make room for it it makes harvest for you how do you do that well when you hear that little voice saying in your head you know i'm just too busy I'm just too busy, then try this word. Seek first the kingdom of God. Don't be too busy to seek God first. (laughs) Of all the things you gotta do, this one comes first. And Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added to you. Harvest will come as you seek him first. I don't think it went deep enough You know, I I don't think it went deep enough. 2 Corinthians 10, look at this one. The weapons we fight with aren't the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That's what we're talking about here. So we demolish arguments and pretense. That means deceptive thinking that has you captive inside the strong man's house. We demolish those because they set themselves up against knowing God. And we take every thought captive in order to make it obedient. Why? Because that's where the freedom is and the harvest comes. When that voice says in your head, you know, I really don't need it. I don't need this. I'm good. Okay, here's a verse. Here's a truth. Drop this one in. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. That's the pride before a fall verse. And don't harden your heart. How did that part of your life get hard? Well, you had something to do with it, he's saying. When the verse says this, it's just not working. Come on, Pastor, it's not working. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith, not by sight. So you don't see it, you don't feel it. Okay, let me ask you, when you plant a seed in the soil, do you see it? Do you feel it? No, but farmers and gardeners know that something's going on under the soil because the sun is shining, the water is watering, and you may not feel it and you may not see it, but you trust that it's happening. When that little voice says, I already tried that, then it's time to persevere. Hebrews ten thirty six. you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he's promised. The harvest is coming in. Actually, in the parable of the soils in Luke, he says, persevering is what makes good ground good. Now, if you have ever heard those voices in your own soul, maybe your own mouth, then I'm telling you, the strong man doesn't want to let you go and he doesn't want you to think you're trapped, just like Tess, who thought Benedict, ah, no, I'm good, he's got me taken care of, yeah. Listen, the battlefield is your mind, God's truth will set you free, but something's gotta change in here if the world is gonna change out there. In Ocean's 11, Tess is deceived. She actually thinks Benedict supposedly cares for her, and it's not until she sees a video that Danny exposes his betrayal and his deception to her. The same happens to us spiritually. You know, we think, oh, I got this, I'm good, and we don't even see what we don't see. We don't know what we don't know unless some outlaw breaks in and says, I need you to come out with me. You know, like Danny or like Jesus or like name somebody who helped you meet Jesus when you thought, I got this. And yet God used them to help open your eyes and then open your heart and then freedom came. And you may have even thought that they were an outlaw for a while and you didn't understand why they were doing what they were doing. But here's what happens, when you've been set free and your heart gets filled up, you suddenly start caring about others and you become part of the outlaw band (laughs) whom God sends into the strong man's house and said now, Tie up the strong man and get the one I love out of there. And that's the way it works. So here's what I want. Here's what I want for my life, for my, for my church, for my pastorate. I want my existence to make it hard for people to do hell with their lives. You say, I don't believe in hell. Okay, well, I know some people's marriages are like hell. Here's what I'm talking about. I think Jesus wants his church in this world to make it hard for people to do hell with their marriages, for people to do hell with their families, for people to do hell with their lives, for people to do hell with their future. Make it hard for that to happen. Make it harder for that to happen. Into the strong man's house, right? And, uh, and what he wants, what I think Jesus is saying, outlaw Jesus saying, I want you to love the hell out of people. That that's what it means to be in the strong man's house and to bind up the strong man with the power of God's love It says hell is not so big. It's not bigger than my God. And, uh, and Christ's death, burial, and resurrection hold in it the secrets to setting us free. The ultimate stronger man entering the strong man's house. So what are my options? Okay, I see three. You can, uh, you can have a pavement heart. Pavement heart. Jesus is knocking and you're saying, no thanks. Get it later. You know, check it out later. Later. No, no, no. That's consistent resistance to the call of rescue but it's an option. Don't do that. If you resist your rescue, there's no rescue. Second, shallow heart. Okay, this is, you know, shallow heart. Okay, Jesus, I want you, you're welcome in the house, I welcome you in the house, but let's just stay here in the entry room. Let's just visit, chat out here. You know, I sure don't want you in the bedroom or in the closets or in the garage or in the rec room. Just just stay right here in the entry room. No, don't do that. Limited access to Jesus means limited life change. You wanna change the world out there, you let him change the world in here, you say, hey, the house is yours. Third option, thorny heart. Okay, Jesus, you're welcome in my house, but the other stuff I got in my house, I really, I like I like it in my house, so I don't want you trying to do a makeover in my house. Right? In other words, I want Jesus, I don't want, not, I don't want to not have Jesus, but at the same time, I really don't want Jesus messing with my stuff. Then you wind up living in two worlds and Jesus says it's gonna choke out. So what's the solution? Let, be willing. Be willing to let God be God. Be willing to let Jesus be Lord. Give Jesus authority as the stronger man in the strong man's house and then invite him to make a change. We pray. Father, we thank you that you came in the person of Jesus Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you are still in the world today because after you took the sins of the world upon yourself and nailed them to the tree, you broke the devil's back, rose from the dead triumphantly, and now your spirit is available to do battle against the strong man in me, in us. And we welcome you as our stronger man today. If you're a brother or sister in Christ and you have already welcomed Jesus into your life but relate to something I've said and know that God wants to take you deeper, take you farther, take you, make you stronger, would you just pray to him right now, Lord, I'm willing, I'm willing You say, but I'm not willing, Bill. Okay, then try this prayer. I'm willing to become willing. Is that true? I'm not willing right now, but I'm willing to become willing. But I can't do this by myself. And Jesus is going to say, that's okay, I'm a stronger man and my spirit is in you and we're going to make this thing. Would you pray that right now? Lord, I'm willing. Have your way in me in my life, in my soul. Maybe you're on the front end of your spiritual journey and you'd like to know how you relate to the strong holds in life, but that stronger man, you can invite him into your soul right now. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I believe you've been standing at the door of my heart and now I open it and I invite you to come in. Have your way with me. Forgive my sins, lead me to the way of full harvest as I follow you. Now with our heads still bowed just for a moment, if you ask Christ to come into your life with me in that prayer, would let me ask God's blessing upon your steps of faith? Would you simply raise your hand wherever you're seated? Thank you, to my left in the back, right here in the front, in the front, again to my left, toward the back in the center, God bless you. Seeing several hands right together there, amen. Anyone else? To my right, God bless you, sister. Lord Jesus, we're praying for every person who just by uplifted hands signified a willingness to open their heart. We pray you would pour your life into them by the power of your spirit, cleansing, forgiveness, and freedom as we make our prayer in your name, amen.